This is the Travel Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Propelic, bringing you the news and insights and what's working and not working in today's competitive transportation and tourism landscape. From emerging brands to the most established professionals, these lessons of intelligent marketing will help your marketing plan travel further. I am so excited today to be talking to Mia Leefield, a native Californian with strong East Coast ties and who currently serves as the marketing and content director at Duvine Cycling and Adventure Co. For over seven years, Mia has been at the forefront of Duvine's marketing strategies, curating their content calendar, shaping their brand identity, and spearheading integrated marketing campaigns. Her expertise spans writing and editing diverse content, managing website redesigns, collaborating with major media outlets such as Travel and Leisure, the New York Times, and Forbes. With a deep-rooted understanding of luxury travel, food, and wine, which is also my favorite, Mia brings a wealth of insights to our conversation, and I'm really excited to talk to her today about luxury travel marketing that she does at Duvine. Hey, Mia, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well. I'm so excited for this recording, which we're doing, what, the day before Thanksgiving. So do you have any travel plan for Thanksgiving? Thankfully, no. Just right here at home, which is awesome. Thankfully for Thanksgiving. No, me neither. I just got married last week. Oh my God. I got married last Friday, actually, on the 17th. And the family was like, are you going to come to Thanksgiving? And I said, thank you, but no. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you dearly, but I need some time to decompress before we go to Asia for the honeymoon. Yeah, but you're just right back here at work. Like, here we are one week later. Exactly. Right back here. I was working Sunday after the wedding. Oh, my God. Well, I'm excited to dive in today. I got introduced to your company through Bruce Rosard. He's a friend of mine. He's friends with Andy. I think they used to work together. And we really enjoyed each other's company at Arrival. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to learn a little bit more about marketing. I know we talked about it a little bit. Your background is more generalist in nature and not specifically in digital. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into this conversation and learn a little bit more about what you're doing and what's working and what's not working to help some of the travel marketers out there adopt and maybe not adopt those strategies. So if anybody's a direct competitor of Duvine, don't listen to this podcast, I guess, is the takeaway, right? Tune out. Don't take our secrets. Tune out. Maybe we can just mislead everybody. We can just tell them the exact opposite, right? Yep. So Duvine featured many a time in travel and leisure as the world best tours op- tour operator. I actually, a good friend of mine, Adrian Glover, used to be the editor-in-chief there, if that was at the time when she was there. I think it was at least five years ago. Our first win was, I think, in 2017. I don't know when she finished up. I'm talking to her next week, so I'll, I'll be curious to know. But give me an overview for the listeners of what Dubai is and what your approach to travel is. Yeah, so I think the elevator pitch, simply, is that you know we're a company offering guided luxury bike tours. And the trips are about six days on average. They're all inclusive. We operate in about 50 destinations across Europe, the USA, Latin America, and Africa. So that's sort of the headline, what we do. I I was thinking about what it is that makes us unique. And everyone has, of course, their like differentiators and their pillars, you know. And the one that I think is chief among our different approach is our guides. You know, a lot of times guides, whether it's for day trips or destinations or docents at museums, like they kind of get an assignment and a dossier and they study it and they re-deliver it. But 
wonderful about our guides is that they are local. Like they were born where they're guiding. They train and ride on the rooms that they're riding with our guests. So, you know, they can kind of flexible and they can say like, let's stop here. Oh, you love figs? Like there's this 500 year old fig tree. Like, let me stop and I'll pick you seven. They're in season, you know? So they are spontaneous. They're flexible. They have friends and family that they're sharing with our guests. You know, they might even invite you into their own like family kitchen for dinner. And then of course, because they're local and we travel to internationally, they also take really the stress out of it, right? Of course, they speak the language. They are your bike mechanic. They're guiding you on the bike so you can like not be checking your turn by turn GPS. You can just kind of like tune out and really enjoy your surroundings. And I actually think, you know, that whole idea is also part of our appeal. I like to joke that our trips are this week where you can regress, you know? I think people who book travel with operators like us are busy. They choose operators because we include everything. You like pay one price and you're done and then you just show up. And that all-inclusive nature is like you sit down to dinner, someone else orders for you, they already know your dietary restrictions, bill is paid, your bags are already in your hotel room, and it's just like such a treat. It really allows people to like clear their head. It's like a vacation in the truest sense and you like feel happy, you feel carefree. So a lot of what you just shared is essentially like those are the cornerstones of a, a good company, right? When you have the product market fit, you've got this experience that is all inclusive. I'm curious when you look at your experience, I know people think about hotel prices, they think about food prices, they think about all the prices associated with the trip, renting a bike, bike, et cetera. What would you say is like the average price of a Dubine cycling trip, a six-day trip? I would say between four and 6,000 per person. Got it. So when you think about it and you're doing your marketing and thinking about your traveler, are you considering that to be budget, mid-market, luxury? What do you think of yourself as? I think it's luxury for sure. There's also trips. We are in definitely a certain range, but there's some trips that are like go higher on the luxury end. So for example, we have this trip that's on a liveaboard yacht that goes around the Greek islands and you sleep on the yacht and there's a private chef and an open bar and then you sort of disembark and bike every day. That's at a higher price point. Some trips are just based on the location, you know, on the lower end, like in the high 3000 per person. We have four day trips also that sort of can help curve the price. So there's range, but there's the luxury for sure. Yeah. Got it. And with the luxury market, so we have, it's interesting. So what we've noticed about luxury is the booking window can vary substantially, right? So you have the people that book far in advance through a planner and the people that say, I want to go on a last minute trip. When you look at booking windows, what are you generally working with? So it's usually 90 days. It's really interesting to see how it changes depending on the time of year. And by that, I mean, like at the end of summer is the longest booking window. So people will be booking like up to 120, 160 days out. I think that makes sense. Like no one is really coming back from their summer being like, okay, let me plan my trip for November. Like most I, people I are remember. on that, riding that high. What are we doing? We do? I mean, everyone's different, right? But I think 
I'm addicted to travel though, so it could it have something to do with that. So much so that I had to work in the travel well, industry, right? I was gonna say you're in the right you're in the right business. <laughs> Just, so marketing to the buyers, but marketing to the traveler, and we've got a long conversion cycle. So I guess, you know, you've got ninety days from booking to experience on the front end when you're booking in January, February, March for April, May, June, July tours. Do you have any idea how long someone's considering purchasing prior to that? That's a good question. I don't know that I have a great sense of how long people are in the funnel. It really depends too, right? We have a huge proportion of repeat return travelers. And so it's really hard to say like when they go in and out of, I mean, they're always in the funnel, right? The minute that they're done with the trip that they just completed, they're starting to think about their next trip. It could be. So that's, a, that's definitely like a loyalty play right there, right? For sure. Deliver. It's product, product-driven marketing. So when we talk about that, and you've got hundreds of travel agencies, thousands of travel agencies, so many people that are doing, trying to do similar things to you because you've been so successful, what do you do to stay top of mind throughout the year so people rebook with you? So I think that I would say I'm like a brand first marketer, right? And so I want people to know who we are at first glance. And I think it can be kind of controversial. I think some of the choices in doing that come at the cost of like best practices, right? Like if I want my ad assets to be customized, they're not going to get the best placements. Like might not be optimized, but for me, I feel you were just saying, Brenda, like you're a travel consumer and you work in travel. And I know that I feel inundated. We have so much choice and so much content and so many people out there doing really clever marketing. And so my decision for Divine is to make sure that they know who we are immediately. We invest a lot in like really high quality imagery. We're really firm about design decisions. And I think having a really strong brand identity sets us apart in a really, really saturated travel space. Like we know who we are, we know what we do. And that comes across immediately when you see something that's divine. And then from there, you know, once you have people in the door, you can give them the softer, more convincing sell, the longer copy, the nurture stuff, you know, but to me, it's like, it's got to be yeah. brand first. And also, I have to say too, like, we're in a really interesting space where we're, you know, we're a travel company, but we're also a cycling company. And if you ever look at other cycling adjacent, like apparel companies, bike companies, like they are so slick, you know, like you have to look slick to be in this game, in the cycling world. It's like slick. all about what does that look like? You have to have your so for Gling, like people are going to look at your kit, your jersey, and your shorts, and your helmet, and your socks, and be like, cool, like that is you look the part. And they will know if you're wearing like this brand that is just like, you know, the short that you get at REI and not at like superior cycling apparel company, like it means something. And so for us, like I take that notion of looking slick 
looking the part, having the right kit, having the cool bike and apply it to like our brand in the travel space, if that makes sense. What would be like a tactic that you use to do that? I know you've got some phraseology around like find your place at the table, some like whether it's exclusivity or inclusion, depending on how you read that, right? What are some actions you take to create a level of sleekness in your marketing? So I think, well, finding a place at the table is so interesting because I like a really cold type to this. But you're right. It is about exclusivity and inclusivity, I guess. So I want to say that like you could think about this two ways. In one way, find your place at the table. It's about belonging. And I think that's what all of us want to feel when we travel. We don't go traveling and be like, I want to be here and I want to feel like a tourist. Like nobody feels that way. Everyone wants to. You don't want to feel like a spectator. You want to feel like a participant in your travel, you know? And so we find your place at the table basically means like we make sure that you feel like you've been welcomed to see what life is really like in this place. It's a local person opening their door to you. It's like someone talking about where they would go because they live here and they like this cafe down the street. It's not about something that's packaged for consumption. It's a desire to like see and experience a place as it really is. But it's also like you so like you said, it's also about access. You know, like Noma isn't out here taking walk-in reservations because that's not what it's about. It's about an intimate experience. It's about the focus of delivering like really good food made with love and time and care, like start to finish. And I think the same is true for us. Like everything is done so that it can be custom and intimate feeling you know you're always benefiting from that like special exclusive limited access so you ask specifically like what does that look like and for us in the project experience that's like someone going on our trip to Bordeaux and you're with a winemaker in his vineyard he's handing you like a sun-warm grape and then you go in his like tiny cellar he goes in his private reserve his cellar has like six seats in it he pours you a glass. He like talks you through the tasting notes. Like that is finding your place at the table. There's seat saved for you in his cellar and big group simply can't fit in there, period. So what size groups do you all run typically? So maximum, there's 14 spaces on each trip, but very often they tend to be a little bit smaller, but we will cap out at 14. Unless, of course, it's a private trip and whatever you want. Got it. Then it can be whatever the group organizes. It could be two people or it could be more. Okay, very cool. So a couple questions around marketing and digital. Because I know, like, so when we look at, for instance, I searched your name. I didn't click on it because I don't want to cost you $1.28. But I see you're doing some Google ads specifically targeting your brand name. And I get it because Explore Worldwide is targeting the same term. What is your strategy around paid media on Google look like? Interesting question. So we do plenty of paid search. In fact, we have spent more on paid search in the last, I would say, two years than probably Divine's history combined. I know this sounds crazy, but we took a pause on like sponsored social, paid social during COVID and are just like re-entering that space. But we think about our paid search philosophy all the time for that reason I mentioned, because we're in this crossover space of like, if you searched, you know, travel to Tuscany and you get a bike tour as a result, some people might be like, what? Like, I don't, I just want to go to Tuscany. Like, I don't want to 
it's too general, right? Like our our product and our appeal is so specific. So we're in this interesting space of targeting people who are cyclists or active and have an active lifestyle and marketing to them and saying, did you know that you could take your active lifestyle and your love of cycling and make a vacation? And on the converse, we are trying to reach an audience who, of course, love travel or they search by destination and saying, hey, did you know that active travel is an option? You could see and move through this place you think you want to go in a way that maybe you never considered. So we have kind of like a fun approach finding like where the Venn diagram meets for those two. Yeah. I'm sure as you get back into paid social, you're realizing that how much less profitable now it is than it used to be (laughs) as you were I don't know. It's so much like I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, the algorithm changes every day. What Instagram is favoring changes every day. The trending things change every day and your audience changes every day. And like I mentioned, like everyone's oversaturated. Everyone's getting so much content. You're going to market with Facebook. I know this is completely off like what I told you I'd be asking about. And I apologize. We can go back to that. But I think this is super interesting. When you talk about audiences on Facebook, obviously you said you've got a huge repeat customer list. So I imagine you're retargeting your existing audience, right? What other types of audiences do you have? Like in-market audiences for destinations or for interests. That's pretty, I mean, honestly, that's pretty much where we're starting. I think about all the time and there's so many angles from which you can approach audience targeting. And I'm like, kind of just want to start with two philosophies on it, which is like lookalikes retargeting and then take people and see if we can capture them in their search when they may not have heard about us at all. You know, it's interesting. So like you're pointing this thing out, there's this ghost in travel of like the customer that just comes out of nowhere in books, which is like, well, why is this a direct customer? Why is this an attributed conversion? And you know, like the question, looping back to that question earlier, of do you know what the process is prior to booking where it's kind of like a black box? Nobody really knows because Google Analytics has a 90 day attribution window. I want to go on a Rocky Mountain Air trip. I want to go on one of those incredible 360 degree panoramic view train trip tours of Banff and northern and southeastern western Canada. I've been looking at that for four or five months. And when I convert, which I'm likely going to, run and you're frozen. the Rocky Mountaineers marketing director is going to have no idea where I came from because 90 day conversion tracking window. So Google Analytics is useless when it comes to attribution. But one of the things in travel where my question gets into in terms of Facebook audiences and, and Instagram retargeting audiences is you do have like 180 days on the Facebook tracking pixel, right? So if we know that someone's got a three month prior booking window, a three month research window in the discovery and research and planning phase before they make the booking, Facebook becomes a really powerful tool. And that's what we've been seeing is creating a retargeting audience that's 90 days delayed to retarget them for the booking when they're ready to book. Yeah. Because if Rocky Mountaineer was targeting me right now, which they're not, because I don't know, they don't think about it this missed way. Opportunity. I would be seeing ads from right Yeah, missed opportunity, 100%. So on Google, you're ramping up your spend. What's driving that? What's driving the spend? Have you just reached a point where it's profitable or like what's behind? You said in the last two years, you've spent more than you had in the company's history. So I'm just curious, like what's the driving force behind that? Worse, like in a rebound stage, like everyone post COVID, where it was nothing and really scary. And then everything, the world became available at our own fingertips. And the rebound is so loud and so furious. So that has supported like growth for us. 
And we also joined a family of companies as well. So we are now in the Lindlad family of companies. So Lindlad Expeditions is our parent company. And then we're equity partners with Natural Habitat Adventures, Off the Beaten Path, and Classic Journeys, which is a walking tour company. So so there's just more money to spend now. <laughs> That's basically what it is, right? Yeah. Like, not only that, but it's like the insights as well, too. You know, you sort of joked about like competitors, like tune out. But when you join, when you become equity partners with these other people doing the same thing, like suddenly it's like secrets are revealed, you know, like you look, you see how the sausage is made for all these companies trying to do the same thing. And it's like so illuminating and so helpful, like to have people you can ask truly candid questions without worrying about everyone's competing profitability or whatever, you know. Well, that's, and that's the thing, like, you know, when you reach unit economics that are scalable, which you obviously have, and you have someone bring some more money to the table to drive that forward. And even if you've got a long cash conversion cycle, even if it takes you a long time to turn that spend into returns, you've got someone backing you. So I'm just curious, that makes a lot of sense. So moving on to a little bit more into the questions that I told you I'd be asking, <laughs> I feel like that's only fair. What is an utterly failed marketing campaign that you've run? Okay, to be fair, I was thinking about this and I was like, this is like an interview when everyone asks you like, what's your weakness? And you're like, I'm too <laughs> oriented, you know? But I was thinking about not a failed marketing campaign, but I think, you know, your question pertained to like, what was something that did not go as planned? And I've talked already a couple times about COVID and Truly, like that was something where nothing went to plan, obviously. But what was so interesting about it was that absolutely forced creativity. Like, our product team did an amazing job. They had to work inside domestic borders. All international borders were closed. This is like most of our, the bulk of our business. And they had to invent really appealing domestic tours overnight while adhering to all these protocol and they did and they they today even now with everyone spoiled for choice like they have these trips that have become some of our best sellers like this trip to the Hudson Valley is just like continuing to kill it but in marketing what that felt like was this screeching halt like it felt so quiet we had so few projects we had all this time and we had like no inventory we had nothing to promote and so we were like okay well it's covid nobody cares about consuming everyone can't travel like what's important and it became all these campaigns that were person first like human-centric marketing campaigns and we it was like so refreshing it was so inspiring it was like some of our best work i was just thinking about it when i was thinking about this interview and we did this this video campaign with some of our guides right there in like Italy or wherever they're on lockdown you could not leave your house you had to get a written permit to go grocery shopping it was way more stringent than it was here in the states and stay-at-home orders were finally lifted for them and hey can you guys film yourself when you go out on your first ride since you've been on lockdown and we edited it into this video for social and it was like so incredibly moving. I like getting chills thinking about that. That sounds like Yeah, it was really wonderful. And it was also 
it brought me and I'm sure a lot of other people back to this baseline of, right, that's this is why bike travel. It's about feeling free. It's this is it. You know, I could have never have foreseen that. I would have never come up with something like that. I shouldn't say I, we, my amazing marketing team. You know, we had to like restyle all these assets that we had banked at that point in time. We like made these cool cookbooks. We made like a wine guide that were a way that echoed our product, like this idea of having like authentic food and wine that we packaged it in a way that people could enjoy while we were all housebound. And we spotlighted our producers and vendors who were really suffering without tourist income and like how our audience could support them. And basically what I'm getting at is it was all this act of tethering our company and our brand, not only to our audience, but to like everyone who makes a company go to our staff, to our guides, to our vendors, the properties that we work with. But it like kept this really tenuous connection to our audience who was like, well, why am I listening to you? Like, I can't, I can't patronize you right now, you know? Well, I totally get it. So not a failure. No, I feel like you answered the question of like, what's something that went incredibly well? Yeah. I interview people when we're hiring and I say, what is something you're not good at or not interested in? And just as you said, I'm too detail oriented. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I mean, but you know what's interesting? Like, for all intents and purposes, like, it kind of was a failure. It didn't sell trips, you know? No, it didn't sell trips. But that's, you know, when we talk about, like, what drives a travel brand forward that is loyalty. Like, this is the thing that OTAs have much trouble with is OTAs, what is it, like, five or six percent of people remember where they booked their trip six months after the trip. They remember the trip. There's an inordinate, an absolutely inordinate, disproportionate correlation with how much you enjoyed your trip. If you spend a lot of time and energy planning and booking it, you're inspiring that. We look at the four stages of travel research. We look at the dreaming phase, which is the phase that you're just speaking to, that is followed by a planning and booking and experiencing, but you need to start with the dreaming. So I 100% argue with you and disagree. I think it sounds like if you inspired people and you got eyes on it, like I got chills by hearing that story. Because I remember coming out of the pandemic, I remember all the little things where it was like, oh my God, we can do this again. We can connect again. Yeah. And once again, this is now the 10th in a sequence of 10 podcasts where we've not been able to avoid the pandemic topic. (laughs) It is like hard coded into like working in travel. It is something no one saw. Like massively changed the trajectory of all of our business and the way people can like it is pivotal you know like you can't avoid it that's why it keeps coming up it is a communal trauma is what it is yeah it was so traumatic Bro, it was so traumatic it was incredible okay so you were at divine at the time yeah okay so did you have to rebuild a marketing team no not really it was a really interesting moment for us because we were very small we've always been super small divines like almost 30 years old but at the time the pandemic it was like a team of my our VP of marketing and sales, myself, a creative director. We had a graphic designer and we had a social person we had just like, I mean, just hired. And so everyone except the social person stayed and they're all still here. Okay. So this is an interesting topic. So you've got a team you're working with. You're talking about how to support a director of marketing in travel. What does the team around that need to look like? Tell us about your team. Well, my team right now is 
still feels really small. And we talked about us joining this family of companies and that was something that like exploded our growth. And so we're, you know, when you join a family of companies, like it doesn't change overnight. Like it's slow, good, thoughtful change in my experience doing this anyway. And so the only difference between like pre-COVID and right now is I have a copywriter who we've onboarded in the last year to support of what I used to do. But that creative director who was there before COVID, still here, our graphic designer, still here, and the VP of marketing, like is leading the team, always has been, and is still here. So we went into COVID with a staff of five, and now we're five. There you go. You made it. Do I feel like we we need more staff? For sure. But, you know. Of course. Every marketing team is understaffed. It's funny. It's not like it's responsible for generating revenue for the entire company or anything like that, right? I mean, it's hard, though. I think hiring for marketing is so searching and hiring is so challenging. We interview 250 people for each one we hire. So you don't have to tell me twice. We've got 15 marketers on our team. So I get it. You know, we have this like running joke about hiring, which is like marketers are the are the hardest to hire because we're all so good at selling ourselves you know like everyone's job is to like sell the product and we all sell ourselves so well in interviews and our resumes and cover letters and then like sometimes you get people who on paper you're like dang and then you get them in person you're like dang (laughs) yeah but it's it's like such an interesting phenomenon like someone who sells for a living effectively selling themselves and then Imagine you did that with your travel experience. Well, the funny thing is, I know I have a lot of family members in finance, and it's like they don't know how to get new jobs. They can't figure it out. It's hilarious um, just because they need a marketer. So th- with everything like changing, as we talked about with social, what type of trends have you noticed lately or anything becoming more or less effective? How's the landscape looked for you over the past year or two? I'm sure along with your 10 for 10 podcasts on COVID, I'm sure you're 10 for 10 with generative AI. True or false? Three of 10, maybe. Okay. We're not that woke around here. We're not that cool. Honestly, neither am I. I just know that I'm hearing about it. I think, and I would be remiss to not mention it, I think is my point. I'm exploring still how it can be effective for Divine. I'm obsessed with the human touch, but I'm also concerned like everyone with efficiency. So TBD. But I think my approach to marketing, and this is like, I don't know, I might be I might be inciting some some anger on this one, but I actually think good marketing is a balance of old and new. So I don't think that we can or should throw out traditional marketing. I think there's people out there and I'm not even about to like chalk it up to different generational preferences or anything like that. Like there are people out there who still like the catalog. They still like mail. Do you send mailers? We send a catalog. Awesome. And honestly, for the right people, this is about knowing your audience. It is invaluable conversion tool, like huge. And this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, brand identity. It's beautiful. Like I have one on my coffee table because it's pretty. It's like a travel book, you know? So I think that you cannot necessarily throw out what's old by the same token 
you can't be resistant to change, but you can't just like go out adopting every new thing. Like I try, I am all for embracing new digital marketing technology. You know, I'm not averse to risk taking. I think my lucky stars that I'm supported in like being willful about all this stuff. But like I try and step back and I'm like, what's good for Dubai? What makes sense for our brand? Do we really need to be on threads? Like, do we really need to be on there? You know, sometimes you look back and we're like, I forgot what threads was for a second. See, everyone was like, you got to join threads. Like it's, that's what we're doing. And then two months later, what's threads? What are we doing there? Yeah. It's like fashion. You look back and you're like, why did we do those outbrain ads? Those are weird, you know? And I think once you, as a marketer, when you embrace change as a constant, you will feel so much less crazy. It's changing all the time and you just have to be like the joy of our rules here is that like you got the opportunity to learn every day. Audiences change every day. Platforms change every day. Algorithms change every day. And it's like fun. Last question for you before I get into the fun one. What do you think is the future of travel and luxury travel marketing? What do you think? What's next? What's on the horizon for you? If you look at stuff like, I don't know, do you ever check the skift like mega trends? I think those are so interesting. Oh, yeah. I get a skift VIP badge because I pay the subscription. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know what's up. They're so interesting. I feel I love them because I feel like they're dead on and they always like I mean, this is the whole point. Like they come at the right time. And they always resonate. And so anyway, I think that the future is for what we do for experience marketing. You cannot be doing this armchair anymore. Companies have to invest in allowing their marketers to see, smell, taste, live, know the product. Because I think they're like our guests are really discerning. And they will read between the lines if you are just like filling your marketing with meaningless travel jargon. And there's so much, there's so much out there. So I think the future is fixated on like the meaningful, the authentic, um, and people really want the real thing and they will vet their options before they spend their dollars. They they are seeking something that's seamless. Their expectations are really high. I feel like there's seeing more and more like our guests have no room for error. Like they will not tolerate any kind of anything that they consider below their expectations. And your marketing has to show the experience truthfully and winningly. You know, like you have to represent accurately, but you also have to do it the best you have to stand apart and i will say to you this is important for us i think that people are going to start caring a lot more about impact i think that people i'm hearing every day just in my daily life you know i like gardening and i'm just the other day this report came out about the hardiness zones for the whole country changing and i'm like yeah like the impact is being felt in all the things we do climate change and sustainability, it's no longer esoteric. It is right in front of us. And so for people thinking that way, I think increasingly we're going to see people making choices based on responsible travel providers. Yeah. Speaking into what you said at first, which is super interesting, Mikey Sadowski, who is on our podcast, he's a VP of PR or something, Intrepid. 
I forget what the exact title is, but he was talking about, no, communications, I think, overall communications. But he talked about something similar to you. The, the marketer has to experience the experience itself to know how to market it. And that's one thing that's super interesting about them is they have a corporate perk that their one year plus team members get to go on their trips fully paid for. Incredible, right? And I think that that's something that more companies need to adopt. It's easy when you've got like a two hour boat tour or if you've got a walking tour of a city for the marketer to see that. But, you know, it's a big investment. Their cost of goods sold has got to be at least 50% for one of these trips, like to put you on this trip. And I think it's important that specifically multi-day, the people who are selling the multi-day tours need to see what it's like. Absolutely. Duvine has been doing that same benefit since as long as I've been there. We take one trip a year to like see firsthand. It's important for everyone, honestly, not just marketing, like, but our guest services team, like they need to know how to walk in the guest shoes. So they know how to support them and like what to convey to them. Like it is, it's essential. It's worth, in my opinion, it's worth every penny for a company to invest. You just got to make sure you choose the yacht tour when you decide which tour you're going on, right? I kind of, I haven't done it. And I cut, we're just talking. I just got back from a family trip and my other in turning 70 next month and i was like i really want to take you this is the occasion like let's ball out like we should do this grease trip you know yeah that leads me to my next and final question that i always love asking is where is your next destination where are you going next i mean literally like are you asking or where i wish i what's on my list let's do both so it's the holidays. I feel like it's not a very fun question to answer at this point in time, but I'm going to Colorado to see my family for Christmas. So whatever. It, it'll be great, but it's not the sexiest answer you've ever heard. But with Duvine, I really, really want to go to Slovenia. We have a like, trip that we've been operating there for a long time, but we just redesigned the trip. I think it's going to be like Portugal was five years ago. Like Portugal, why are we going there? And you cannot keep up with the demand so anyway i'm going to go to slovenia and i also really want to go to new mexico okay new mexico that's a dmo of new mexico is a client of ours so hit me up there you go right yeah we worked let's on not forget that domestic destinations are amazing even post-covid i feel like they got okay. you know fair they got crashed and i just came back from Apparently america is beautiful it is. I just came back from Yellowstone, which was also beautiful, too. Wonderful. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Mia, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Where can people follow you and in, in what you're doing? Really, I live my life through Duvine. I'm I'm all in on Duvine. Duvine is a reflection of me. So follow us at Duvine on every platform. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brennan. For more empowering ideas, visit Propelic.com. We're on a mission to create more diversity in thought for the planet and dedicated to helping brands both large and small increase their reach through intelligent travel, transportation, and tourism marketing. P-R-O-P-E-L-L-I-C.com.